Welcome to the teaching ministry at Magnolia's First. We hope the next few minutes will help you take your next steps on your faith journey. And we would love to help you take those next steps. Just head over to m1bc.org and fill out the connect form and a pastor will get in touch with you very soon. Or you can text us at 281-343-3033. So great to be with you today. It's such an honor to be able to spend this Father's Day uh, here with Magnolia's First Baptist Church. Uh, I love how Aaron uh, just said this, how uh, special this church is uh, to our family, uh, continues to be, how, how special it was to uh, our dad, how special it is to our mom, and so we celebrate that, and so it's special to us too. Uh, a lot of you know this, but uh, Magnolia's First Baptist Church supported us uh, so much uh, when we lived in New York, and uh, I was thinking about this, there's several times, I would say several would be the number. Uh, times when Ed and Cindy would come up to New York uh, to take uh, me, me and Jenna to eat, spend a few hours with us. And I would tell Jenna, I said, you know, Ed and Cindy, they're, they're coming up. They're taking us out to eat. And she's like, oh, they're so nice of them. They're so, they just must really love us. And I said, well, they do love us. And Ed loves New York pizza, but they love us too. And so, um, so we're really always able to celebrate uh, the relationship that we've had with Magnolia First Baptist Church, and so we're glad to be here on this Father's Day. My wife Jenna's here, and so glad that uh, we have three of our four daughters here. Uh, it's Charlotte and Children's uh, Church, probably, and then Avery's our 13-year-old. Uh, <laughs> Emma is our 19-year-old. Connor, you're not really a daughter or a son, but you're just a good friend. I'm glad you're here. And, uh, and so then we have our oldest daughter and son-in-law and two grandsons live in Austin. So we're happy to be here to celebrate Father's Day. But also, in addition to Father's Day, uh, my mom's here. And uh, today would have been my mom and dad's 51st uh, wedding anniversary. So we're also happy to be here to celebrate this day and what a big deal that is. And so uh, we could clap for them. This was a pretty special honor. Uh, I like it that uh, it's been referred to that my dad has these uh, various sayings uh, called Larryisms uh, or, you know, words of wisdom. I think that Aaron and I refer to them, it's just like a Tuesday for us. These are just like normal, normal phrases on a normal day. Uh, he would speak to us and, and there would be some different things that, that uh, we would hear from our dad that were certainly uh, inspirational or there are certainly things that uh, were kind of said in a disciplinary way. Uh, but then there were certain things that he would say that we didn't fully grasp it the first time that he said it. Sometimes we had just different things that he would say and we would have to just kind of ponder and think, what, what, what is that? What does that mean? One of the phrases that he would say, maybe you've heard him say it, maybe you've heard other people say it, but here's one of the phrases would be, uh, don't worry about the mule, just load the wagon. Maybe you're familiar with that phrase. It took me 20-something years to understand that this had nothing to do with farm animals or anything like that. And so he would say, uh, some of you, maybe you you, um, uh, hear him say, uh, those who can't listen have to feel. And so he would, he would, he would have these uh, various uh, words of inspiration, uh, but one of the things that he would say to us on a regular basis as we were growing up, and it's really the, the words that I want to challenge you with today, he would say this over and over again, whenever we would go anywhere, wherever we would go do anything, before we left to go out, he would say these words, remember whose you are and whom you serve. 
Remember whose you are and whom you serve. And these were words that maybe I didn't quite grasp it at the, at the time because what it sounded like was, uh, don't forget that you're my son or don't get in any trouble because you're my son. But really what he was saying, later on he would say it this way, remember whose you are and whom you serve and it's not me. Because all of us, as we've gathered here today, are aware of this, that there is a great need for us to understand our identity and who we are to God. It's important for us to understand this is who we are. We're, we're at a place in our society where never before has the question been asked, more than it is right now, who am I? We're shaped by so many different things within our culture, within the media, that are shaping our identity. Who are we supposed to be? What is it that we're supposed to do? What am I? Who am I? My dad would say over and over again, remember whose you are and whom you serve. Well, how in the world are we supposed to remember who we are and whom we serve? How are we supposed to, to let that really sink in? Well, this is an important part of this because part of the way that we remember whose we are and whom we serve is by hearing whose we are and whom we serve. So part of this is just by retention of just having it spoken into us. So Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4 says it like this. It says, listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are on the road, when you are going to bed and when you are getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as a reminder. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. He says it over and over again. He says you've got to remember this. The Lord is our God, the Lord alone. That's, that is essential for us. It's so easy to forget that, isn't it? I mean, some of us, we know what it is to deal with some type of spiritual amnesia where we remember something for a second and then we kind of forget about it and we've got to kind of come back to this. And, and, and I think that there's, it's imperative for us to understand that we've got to hear it over and over again, whose we are and whom we serve. There is a God and I'm not God. I'm under authority. I am not the authority. You ever get that confused at different times in your life where you just kind of think, well, I'll think I'll take over. I'll be in charge right now. I'll go ahead and act like, I, I've shared this before, but I don't mind saying this, that it was not, it was probably eight or nine years old. I, I, I was driving home from uh, church with my dad. We pulled into the driveway and my dad opened up the door to his truck and he said, ooh, it's cold outside. And I was just being an eight or nine year old kid who didn't know anything, was just being dumb. And I just said, no, it's not cold outside. And my dad, very, very kindly, he said, yeah, it's kind of chilly outside. And I said, no, it's not chilly outside. And my dad was so, so good. He was so calm. And he said, okay. He said, all right. Whenever you decide that it's cold outside, you can come inside. <laughs> and he said it very kindly, very gently, but still went inside and shut the door. 
And I remember standing outside for the longest three minutes of my entire life. <laughs> and I finally had to decide, you know what? I, I think it's cold outside. I remember opening up the door and my dad said, come on in. It's when we have that understanding. We're not the authority. We have something inside of us. It's almost like it's a trick that's being played in our mind day after day where we go, I'll be in charge today. Hey, I'll go ahead and call the shots. I'll decide. And here's what is so important out of this passage out of Deuteronomy. It says it right here in front of us. Listen, listen. The Lord is our God. The Lord alone. God is not asking for you to be God. God's not asking for you to be in charge. Our role as parents is not to be the Lord or the God of our kids. Our role as parents is to be able to point to our kids and say, listen, the Lord is God, the Lord alone. And when we begin to understand that, we can be able to hear it. But then the way that this is really emphasized is by seeing it, by seeing who our parents and our leaders are and whom they serve. That it's modeled, that it's identified, that there is a consistency that is made in the way that we live our lives where we're demonstrating, where we're showing this is what it looks like. This is what it looks like for someone to know this is their identity. In God. In uh, Ephesians chapter 4, Paul writes this. He says, Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one God and one Spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and living through all. One. One Lord, one God, one faith, one baptism. And you know what has to be done is that it has to be taught over and over and over again. And he says it real clearly here. Make sure your children know this. Make sure, make sure that your kids know this. And he's saying it not just to making sure that they just kind of have a head knowledge. He's saying, make sure your kids know this, but also make sure your kids see this in your life. Make sure that it's demonstrated. You, 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 you look back and, and you begin to understand that it's as children that we begin to shape our understanding of who God is. It's really crucial that we understand that. This is why, this is why it's so, so essential. I mean, probably a lot of you know the statistics, but I mean, it's, it's something like 80% of the people who place their faith and trust in Jesus do so before the age of 18. That's what's so incredible about seeing someone baptized this morning at your church and to be able to understand the, the, the children's ministry and the, the student ministry and how this is all demonstrated to be able to say, the Lord is God, it's the Lord alone. It has to be proclaimed and it has to be stated over and over again. This is one of the things that I found that my dad wrote. Some things we can wonder, I wonder, I just said something to Aaron a little bit earlier, I wonder what dad would say about this. And so we've got these things, Aaron and I do it pretty often, where we say, I wonder what dad's thinking. But there's also some things where we just know what he's thinking because he wrote down a lot of stuff. 
I mean, he wrote down way more stuff than we even realized that he wrote down. But this is one of the things he wrote down. He says, he writes, I earnestly believe the enemy targets children. He is not talking about the enemy. The enemy is not any more compassionate towards a child than he is toward you. It's easy to deceive a child. You can tell a child the boogeyman is in the next room or that Jesus lives in our hearts and the child discernment has not been sharpened to believe only the truth. So, what Jesus says, if you cause this child to fall into sin, it would be better for you to have a large millstone tied around your neck and be cast into the sea than to offend one of these little ones. This is my dad's paraphrase of that verse. Man, I can hear his voice so clearly. It's not about you. Cut off your hand, pluck out your eye, but leave my little ones alone. That captures the heart of God, but it also captures the heart of what it means for us to be men, dads, Women, moms, that we are on the offensive, that we're not saying, hey, anything goes. It doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter who you become. No, it matters because we've got to be the loudest voice in our kids' lives to be able to proclaim, this is the truth. The Lord is God, the Lord alone. The second question in this, and remembering whose you are and whom you serve, is the question, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? Uh, I mean, I say it with a nice tone of voice. So, who do you think you are? But I just want to tell you that the other 15,000 times that my dad asked me that question, he didn't say it in a nice tone of voice. It was more like, who do you think you are? He he told us one time that uh, he was asked that question when he was a kid, that my grandmother asked him, who do you think you are? And he said, he told us one day, He said, I responded, and I said, my name is Ernest Larry Edwards. And Aaron and I are looking at him, and he said, that was not the right answer. (laughs) Who do you think you are? See, we, we, we want to find our identity. We want to be able to know this. It's not, the question is not what we are called. It's our condition. Who do we understand our condition to be? Not what people call us. Who do we understand our condition to be? Paul writes about this, and he talks about this change that's taking place, and he says this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers and the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. And all of us used to live that way following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. That was our condition. That we weren't just having a bad day. Things weren't going kind of not the way that we wanted them to. Things weren't just kind of in a tough situation. This is what Paul says that our condition was. We were dead. We were dead. 
And when we understand the desperateness of what the situation is, it actually helps us to be able to, to, to find our identity. That it's not what, what we're trying to be able to, to figure out on our own, but that we're coming to this place where I can't make it work. I don't know if you've just ever realized the moment in your life where you believed and you were in agreement. I'm dead. Left to my own devices, left to do things my own way, left for it to be up to me, I don't have what it takes. I don't have the strength. I don't have the resources. I cannot fix myself. I mean, that's a tough spot for us to be in. But isn't that what the entire gospel is? Is for us to be able to realize and to be able to recognize, I need help. I need help. I mean, the idea of just saying that, well, I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps and I'm going to be able to make my way on my own and I'm going to figure all of this out. Some of us, the dilemma is, is that we chased all of our goals and we achieved all of our goals and it still wasn't enough for us. I mean, the problem is that, not that we didn't get what we wanted, the problem is that we got what we wanted and it wasn't enough, it didn't produce anything. So we come to this where we're saying we were dead. So it's not about just what we're called. It's about our condition. But the second part of this passage is that it's not about our accomplishments. It's our acceptance of what Jesus has done for us. The rest of the passage in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4 says this, but God is so rich in mercy. I mean, isn't that amazing? That the the very end of verse 3, the sentence is, by our very nature, we were subject to God's anger just like everyone else. That's who we were. But then it starts with this new verse in verse 4. But God, who is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much, that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and he seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take any credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Who are we? Who do we think we are? Well, here's what Paul says. You are God's masterpiece. That's who you are, that we're his masterpiece, that we've been created anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things that he's planned for us. And so as much as we want to kind of get roped into defining our lives by all of the things that we've done wrong, as much as we want to get kind of roped into uh, maybe defining our lives by all of the different mistakes that we've made, here's what Paul is saying. That's not who you are. You are not defined by all the things that you've done wrong. You are now defined by, this is what Jesus has done for you. And what has he done? He has given you grace that was undeserved, and he is making you new. And you are God's masterpiece. That's who we are. Yeah, it is amen. It's a gigantic amen, because if we were simply dead, then yeah, it would be really bad news today. But that's not who we are. 
So the idea of saying, remember whose you are and whom you serve is to remember that you are a masterpiece created by God. Here's what my dad would say. This is what my dad would say. I earnestly believe that the amazingness of grace is that its supply meets our demand. That's what my dad would say. Its supply meets our demand. That no matter what it is that we need, no matter what it is that we've done, that there is grace. You've already heard it stated today, but I'm going to state it again. Jesus did not come to make bad people good. Jesus came to make dead people alive. And for us to understand that that is the truth that we're holding on to, that is what it means for us to be able to experience him, to know him, and to, 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 to know that this is who we are because of him. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 says this, See how very much our Father loves us, for he calls us his children, and that is what we are. But the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we are God's children because they don't know him. I love this verse. I think about it a lot. See how very much our Father loves us, for he calls us his children, and that is what we are. But I think about it because I had an example of a father who really did love us. And I know that not everybody has that example. I mean, I want you to know that I know this, that for some people that are in this room right now, Father's Day is very, very awkward. It's a tough day. And it's probably easy to say, well, man, good for you and Aaron that you had a good dad, but that's not my experience of growing up. That's not my example that I had. And for some people, it's hard to hear that there is a father who loves us with this kind of love. And I just want to just go out by just acknowledging that I understand that that's where some people are at today. The idea, though, that I want to emphasize is that the father that we're talking about is a father who has reached out to all of us to experience the depth of his love. That it wasn't that he was saying, if you'll do this, I'll do that. It wasn't that God in some way was trying to be able to move us around like little chess pieces in order to be able to trick us or to teach us a lesson. It's not that God had this point where he was abusing us to be able to please himself. None of that's true. We had a father who demonstrated what it was that the Bible says that he loved us so much that he sacrificed his son for us. That he was willing to love us with that kind of love. And we want to be able to, to acknowledge that. Aaron, Aaron mentioned this before, that it was not uncommon for our dad to, to, uh, to, to just do whatever he needed to do to help other people out. People who couldn't pay him back. People who couldn't give him the reward. People who couldn't somehow uh, even figure out a way to make a payment. But that wasn't the criteria that he was looking for. My, my, our dad was just willing to get his hands dirty. Our dad was willing to, to do whatever needed to be done so that we would be able to see that there was an actual love that was taking place. And so many times, so many times, when we're talking about love, it is connected to sacrifice. But can I, can I just also tell you this? That the other sacrifices that I, I think about were so many times I would walk in in the mornings and my mom and dad were praying for us. So many times I would just, we would walk in and our dad had his Bible open and he was reading his King James version of the Bible. So many times that that I remember that 
he would look for the opportunities to not just get us to have a knowledge about God, but he would give us a way to know God. This is how you know God. And he would give us these these pieces, and it was essential for us to understand this, which leads me to the last point. So whom do we serve? Whom do we serve? Who do you and I serve? Like, we're serving something. We're serving someone today. Whom do we serve? Well, let me just begin with this. That number, the, the second part of this is we must eliminate the competition. That there's not any room for there to be any competition with God. And a lot of times we have things that kind of rise up in importance and they become the things that we've got to try to, try to emphasize. But we have to eliminate the competition. Matthew chapter 6 verse 24 says this. No one can serve two masters. For you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. You could probably say it like this. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to anything else. So there, the emphasis is that we've got to eliminate the competition. That there's not this, uh, there's no idols. That there's no uh, thing that is competing for our allegiance or for our attention. But we also must invest our lives in what matters most. We invest our lives in, in deciding who we're going to serve. Mark chapter 10, verse 35, talks about James and John. It says, Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came over and they spoke to Jesus. Teacher, we want you to do us a favor. Verse 36, What is your request, he asked. They replied, When you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. But Jesus said to them, you don't even know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering that I'm about to drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism of suffering I must be baptized with? Oh, yes, they replied, we are able. Then Jesus told them, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup and be baptized with my baptism of suffering. But I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. God has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. When the ten other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. So Jesus called them together and he said, you know what the rulers in this, that the rulers in this world lorded over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Remember whose you are and whom you serve. And it's not me. And it's not you. And that's what my dad was trying to tell us. It's only taken me 49 years to kind of get a hold of this. But he was trying to say, I'm just as much in need of service to our Lord and Savior as you are. That our life is not built upon this hierarchy of where we begin to take hold of authority, that we are all under the authority of Jesus. Remember whose you are and whom you serve. One day my dad preached the sermon. He came into the, uh, to the, where the service was going on. He, he, he stands up on the stage. He's wearing a suit and a tie. 
and no socks and no shoes. He's standing up there barefooted. He's not trying to be cool. He's not trying to be hip like, I'm one of these people. That was not, he wasn't going for that look. Just picture this. Barefooted. Coat, tie, slacks, barefooted. And when he was trying to convey, and I don't really remember all of the sermon, I just remember staring at his feet almost the entire time. What he was trying to say is that I have feet of clay, that I'm not perfect, that I am in just as much in need of the gospel as you are in need of the gospel. Just because I'm the pastor doesn't somehow elevate me and put me in a position to where I am somehow greater. I need the grace and the mercy of Jesus as much as anyone else in this place. And that's the role of us as dads. That's the role of us as moms. That's the role of us as leaders is that we come to the same exact place where we're saying, man, I am not above the gospel. I desperately, desperately need his grace. But you know what else he would say? And he's convinced of this, and he would say it over and over again. That there's enough grace that the supply meets our demand. And he would say it. And if he was here right now, I promise he was saying, that's what's so amazing about grace. That's what's so amazing about his grace. That's what's so amazing about his grace. See, you and I can decide today who we're going to serve and how we're going to live. We can decide today that this is the example that I'm going to be, that it's not just going to be my words. It's not just going to be my role. It's not just going to be my authority, but my authority is going to be that I am coming from the one who is over me, that we're serving him, that not even the Son of Man came to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Joshua 24, 14 and 15 says this, So fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols your ancestors worshipped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods of your ancestors that they serve beyond the Euphrates? Or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? But as for me and my family... We will serve the Lord. Father, I pray that, that that is the heartbeat of everybody who's here today. That there would be a resolve and determination. That no, life has not been easy. No, there has not been things that have gone our way. That there's been so many different things that have maybe set us off. And maybe we didn't grow up having a good dad. And maybe we didn't grow up having an example of what a dad should be. And maybe actually we've experienced hurt from our families or even hurt from the church. But Father, I pray that we would live our lives in such a way that we would know that we were created as a masterpiece by you and for you that we are created from you in order to be able to point back to you, that we would remember whose we are and whom we serve today, that we would know that, that we would hear the voice of what Aaron said earlier, that because we are who we are, you gave your son Jesus Christ for us, that that is the way that you see us. Father, would we make the choice today that no matter what anybody else says, that no matter what anybody else does, that we would decide today that as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.